Good morning to you, Machias family. Um, I am very honored to be able to share with you from up here again. I don't get to do it as often as I would like, but I covet the opportunities when they come. Strap on and sit back because this is a weird, weird, weird time for me. This is a sermon that I prepared over a long period of time that is ended up being deeply personal. I'm going to try to share some of that with you. Uh, hopefully unemotionally, but we'll see. Uh, I had the opportunity, some kind, kind people from Machaya sponsored Jacob and I to go back to a pastor's conference in Louisville back in April. Carl had given me the assignment or asked me would I preach this particular passage at that time and so I started on the airplane and reviewed it and thought I'll get a good head start on this thing now and then I was at the conference because of where I was when I left, and those of you that are in the gospel community groups that I attend and my super cool dudes that get together with us on Saturday morning know kind of where I was. And the more I read this passage, the more frustrated I became. And then I was able to hear a particular message at the conference that gave me what I hope you will get today, and that is the life-changing, heart-changing, mind-changing truth from the Word of God applied to your soul by the Holy Spirit. I'm hoping that that's what will occur in you today, the way it occurred in me, because I can tell you this, I desperately needed it. Jesus meets our needs both in the here and now and the there and then. The passage is Mark 6, 30 through 56. Turn with me because guess what? I got so much stuff to say and so many things to read. That passage is not going to be up here. You're going to have to read it. I'm going to read it to you, but it won't be on the screen. So turn with me in the old, like in your old school days, to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 56. Josh will take note of this. Josh Whelan. There are two types of people that walk through the door today. I'm not going to say it. He'll know. Because <laughs> his joke the last couple of days has been, yeah, there's two kinds of people. Ones that categorize people into two kinds of people and those that don't. <laughs> there are two kinds of people in the world. Those that need to be saved and those that have been saved and need to be transformed more fully into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the only kind of people there are. If you're sitting out there in internet land, cool bunny slippers, it's the same story. 
You either need to be saved or you need to be transformed after you're saved more fully into the image of Jesus Christ. That is the entire purpose for the life that you are now living. There are only two things that matter, being transformed and being saved. And guess what? God gives us the same things to accomplish both of those things in your life. He gives us His Word. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit needs to be working in your heart both to be changed or to be saved. He gives us one another or Christians who will stand up and spread the Word of God either in a public setting such as this or in a private setting in in the lives when someone came to you if you've been saved, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point somebody shared the gospel message with you and that is one of the things that God gives us. And the last thing, thing I hate to say, but the thing that's been one of the most effective tools for both saving me and changing me is trials. And part of the message today is about trials. But first, I experienced the life-changing truth of God from His Scriptures that was applied to my heart when I needed it the most. And why is that? Well, Scripture tells us why that is. And one of the things is because it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is God-breathed, out by God, and profitable for both teaching Reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And also in Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, as we learned about in Sunday school this morning. Piercing divisions of heart and soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The Word of God is God speaking to you. If you want to have a conversation with God, read the Scripture... And then pray over it, and then have the Holy Spirit put it into your heart and change your life. Reading the the Bible is kind of like watching Jeopardy. You get the answer first, and then you start asking the questions. The right questions based on the answer or the truth that you got through God's Word. And that's what happened to me. I was reading God's Word. I had a question that I didn't even know I had. And it was revealed to me through the Holy Spirit in God's Word and was a balm to my soul when I was desperate for hope. And here I am. I'm 60, almost 64. I've been a Christian since I was 12. And what? You still have this desperation in your heart for hope? I did. I want to share some of that with you if we can get there. This is an interesting passage. Um... Because, number one, it's really long and it's full of stuff. Oh, I have one thing to say before we go on. Because you're here, or you're not here but you're hearing my voice, you're trapped. You're trapped. Because I'm going to challenge you that today a decision is going to be made by you. You have no choice now. You're either going to do one of of several things. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, today you will have the opportunity, you will hear the gospel message, and you will have to decide, am I going to accept God's free offer of salvation or not? Okay? 
And at the end, when we're done, there are going to be people up here, if that's the case. And you want to know exactly what it takes? We'll tell you. Two, you're going to hear truth from the Word of God. And you're going to have to decide, am I going to pray to God's Holy Spirit to have this Word of truth change my life or not? Because even making no decision is making a decision. You've decided not to decide. There you go. You're trapped. You're stuck. You're going to have to make a decision. I hope you make the right decision. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be today. And if you are struggling like I struggle and you need the truth of God to transform your heart even further, today is the day. It's up to you. The truth will be there. It's life-changing truth. The Bible says it is. Hopefully you'll make the right decision. But I need to get on to this because there's a lot here. So there are things, and I looked at this and I thought, in fact, I actually had a talk with Andy. Andy couldn't be here today, but he said, Carl actually called me first and asked me if I wanted to preach this one. He he said, are you kidding? There's five sermons in here. And he's right, at least five, and they're all at least probably 45 to an hour long. And so, uh, if you had reservations at... Any time between 12 and 3 for Mother's Day, forget it. No, no, I'm, I'm not going to preach those five sermons, but I'm going to preach you a sermon that's kind of based on this. But there are different ways we can be looking at Scripture and doing our study of the Bible. And it's like this. It's kind of focusing back and forth, right? Because sometimes we just focus on the stuff that's in the individual words. And I did that when I studied this passage. I went and looked up all the words. And there's a, there's a word that uh, Christian preachers and theologians on TV and radio like to use, unpack. We're going to unpack this verse, or we're going to unpack this passage, and we're going to go through and dissect it word by word, and we're going to try to get as much out of it. There's no possible way we're going to do that today. But I also find in my own Bible study that oftentimes it's very, very valuable to back away and take a look at some of the bigger issues. And since one of the bigger issues was what was in my heart and in my life and plaguing me at the time, that's the sermon you're going to get. Because here we see Jesus meeting the needs. And, I, and the topic of the sermon or the title of the sermon was Jesus meets your needs both in the here and now and in the there and then. And it's true. The answer to every problem, I know this is, sounds funny, and it, is Jesus. And Wayne told us a joke last uh, time, which I had heard before, and it was like this. Some preschool kids or, or, or uh, Sunday school kids were, were talking, and the teacher was telling them different things, and, and you know, Jesus this and Jesus that. And finally, she points to this picture, and, and she says, now, what, are, what is this thing, little thing over here? It's, it's gray, and it's, it's got the, and nobody would answer. And it's got this bushy tail, and it, and it goes up a tree, and it, and it gathers nuts for the winter. And so finally, one little boy raised his hand, and he very tentatively said, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it looks like a squirrel to me. So I don't want to over-spiritualize everything, but I'm going to tell you right now, the answer to everything is Jesus in your life. Because all of the needs that you have both here and in eternity were taken care of by Jesus. All aspects of why this life is tough are products of sin and brokenness in the world, and Jesus is the answer for every single one of them. Both here 
and in eternity. But I can just tell you a little bit of the personal part of this is I was really struggling with the here and now. Yeah, I got the eternal part. We're going to talk about that. But I wasn't getting the here and now part in the way that I needed to. Okay, so here we go. Jesus meets our needs. So for the need for rest in verses 30 through 32. The need for nourishment in verses 33 through 44. The need for safety and security in verses 45 through 52. And the needs for physical healing in verses 53 through 56. But we're going to ask ourselves some questions as we read through these, because I'm going to read through these, and we're not going to look at these very closely individually, but we're going to look at the overriding principles, and we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to talk about back to today. But we're going to ask ourselves some questions. Is this why Jesus came? Did Jesus come to provide us physical rest? Did Jesus come to make sure we had enough food? Did Jesus come so we would have safety and security when the waves were riding high? Did Jesus come because he needed to heal us when we're sick? Is that why Jesus came? Well, he certainly did those things. And he certainly could do those things. There was certainly nothing wrong with those things. But was that really why he came? Are there bigger issues at stake here? Yes. The answer is yes. Hopefully at the end of the sermon you'll say yes, there are. Is everyone have their needs met the same way? By Jesus. This is where I started to struggle, folks. I needed rest. I didn't get it. I needed nourishment. And God didn't supernaturally produce food for me like he did. I needed peace. I needed safety. I needed security. And I didn't see Jesus in a supernatural, miraculous way come down. So the answer is no. Jesus doesn't meet all of our needs the same way. He just meets all of our needs. What are our real needs? Is it this? Well, sometimes. We're going to talk about, though, what are our real needs and the fact that Jesus came to make sure they were met. And is Jesus really the answer? And I'm just going to tell you he is. Okay, the need for rest. So we're going to read this in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. And the apostles returned to Jesus. Now, there's a little context here. Jesus had just tasked his apostles and given them the authority and the power to go out and heal people, spread the word that the Messiah was here, and cast out demons. And they had been out doing that. And he had told them before, don't worry about um, you know, taking stuff with you. Don't worry about where you're going to eat. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. Don't take extra stuff. I will provide, but I'm going to send you out on a mission. And they went out and they were doing it. And they were probably exhausted. And they'd been on the road, a very long road trip. And they were probably just exhausted by the kind of work that they were doing. I get that because you know what? The most tired I am is when I get done doing this. It just totally sucks the life out of you, which is a good thing because hopefully it's going out of me and into you. But I understand the weariness that they might have felt, and they were on a road trip, and they were coming back, and they were reporting back to the Savior what had been going on. 
And so the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And then he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure, not even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So here's a 45-minute sermon that we could be talking about, about the need for rest and about how Jesus himself rested When he needed rest in his humanity, he also felt tired. And he would often go off by himself and find some solitude and get into communion with the Father. And that is something God wants us to do. He recognizes that we need rest. He recognizes that our bodies are broken. He understands that the problem is we are weary. And the cause of that problem is brokenness and sin. He realized that in the Garden of Eden there was none of that. God was perfectly providing for the needs of his people. There was no weariness necessary, nor was it there, because the rest that we need is as a result of brokenness of sin. But I'm not going to preach you that sermon. Otherwise, I wouldn't get done with the other ones. So what's our next one? Jesus talks about the need for nourishment and meeting that need. In Mark 6, starting in verse 33 through verse 44. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. This is the crowd that they were trying to avoid. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach many things. But then it grew late, and his disciples came to him and said, This is desolate. There's no McDonald's. The hour is late. What are we going to do? So he sent them away. Shall we send them away to the countryside so they can buy food and get themselves something to eat? But he answered to them and said this, you give them something to eat. Well, being worldly people that Jesus later called are hard-hearted still, believe it or not, his disciples just still weren't getting it. I mean, we have already in Mark seen Jesus do all kinds of miraculous things, right? I mean, he raised someone from the dead not that long ago. They watched it. He healed a blind man. He healed a guy with leprosy. He drove out demons. And what? This is going to be tough for you, Jesus? He said, no, you give them something to eat. They said, well, what are we supposed to do? Go into the village? And this is like two years worth of wages to buy enough bread to give them to eat. And he says, okay, how many loaves do you have? Let's go and see. And so when they had found out, they said, okay, we have five loaves and two fish. Five and two. From a worldly standpoint, that doesn't look too hopeful, does it? A crumb, maybe? Okay, but he did this. He commanded them all to sit down in in groups in the green grass. And they sat down in groups by fifties and hundreds. And taking the five loaves and the two fish... He looked up to heaven and said a blessing to his father, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided up the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish and the bread. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, this is a time they say 5,000 probably means just the men, because in this particular time in history, only the men were counted. So they figure there's probably at least three times that many people, including women and children. 
And so maybe 15,000 people, that's like going down to whatever they're calling it now, Key Arena, it used to be in my day, and taking everybody and inviting them over to your house for supper and saying, oh, I only have enough for me, but we'll just break this up and I'll say a prayer. It was pretty amazing. And we could talk about all kinds of aspects of Jesus coming in, how the disciples doubted, but in faith, Jesus says, I can feed the needs of all of these 15,000 people using just this. And we could look about his divine provision and how God can do anything and how the disciples had no faith. And yet how God provided anyway and how his provision even was so miraculous and so abundant that there were huge amounts of food left over. But I'm not going to preach that sermon. Lucky for you, or you wouldn't get out of here. Jesus meets another need for safety, security, and peace. And we see that in verses 45 through 52. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, while he dismissed the crowd and told them to go home. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came and the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, And he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he said to them, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the winds died down, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. Jesus met the need for safety. They were afraid. In fact, other uh, accounts of this in Matthew tell us that this is the time when Jesus came walking on the water. And Peter says, if it's really you, Lord, let me come to you. And he steps out of the boat. His faith is lacking and he starts to sink. And there's a whole sermon. In fact, I have preached that sermon about having enough faith to get out of the boat and not having it. And yet reaching out to Jesus and crying out for salvation and saying, Jesus, save me. And that's what Peter did. And Jesus saved him got after him a little bit because his faith was lacking, but he still saved him. So there's all kinds of things and illustrations that we could derive from that and truth that we can derive from that. Does this sound familiar? Didn't he already do this once? Didn't he already calm the waves? And they were like, who is this dude that can even calm the weather? And here he comes. They'd just seen him hours before. And they don't know who he is. They're scared. Guys can't walk on the water. It must be a ghost. They didn't, even re- they didn't even recognize the one who had salvation from this situation. So once again, there's all kinds of things and points we could make in this particular passage. But I'm not going to preach that sermon. Jesus meets the needs for physical healing in Mark 6, 53 through 56. And when they'd crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and they moored there to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. I mean, they were flocking around. This guy was feeding them supernaturally. He was healing their sicknesses. He was even raising some of them from the dead. He was driving out their demons. They needed something from Jesus, and they didn't really care if he was the Messiah. He had the goods. 
Don't we do that too? Sometimes. Hey, Jesus does have the goods. He can do anything. And he was doing it. And he was meeting their earthly needs. And this is one that they desperately needed. They didn't have the kind of medical system back then that we have now. And probably there are a lot of diseases that are are nothing for us to deal with today that were debilitating and life-threatening back then. And so when someone comes along and says, hey, I can heal you, (laughs) you want want to wonder how long that line's going to be? Well, they had followed him around, and they had been fed, and they had been healed, and they had had their demons uh, taken out of them. And so they were following him around for, for what they could get. So when they crossed over and they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized them and they ran around the whole reason. Come on, bring your sick, bring your people with needs everywhere. And they, they came. And once again, Jesus came through. And whenever he came in villages in the countryside, they would lay their sick in marketplaces and implore him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were healed and made well. That happened before too, hadn't it? The woman who had reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And so her faith healed her. And so there's a lot of things we could talk about to be healed in here. And how Jesus is the answer for physical healing. And that he supernaturally met this need in their life when they were sick. When they had leprosy. When they had demons. Jesus took care of their need. And this is another long sermon that we could preach about Jesus and his healing capacity. I'm not going to do that one either. Why did Jesus do these things? Why do you think Jesus did all this stuff? He was the Son of God. He had no problems understanding who he was. He had no problems knowing what his mission was when he came. Why do you think he did this? Why do you think he went around healing people? Why do you think he went around supernaturally doing stuff and and, and performing miracles? Well, he tells us a little bit. Um, In Luke 7, 20... Oops, maybe I missed it. I'm going to go back. Here we go. Luke 7, 22-22... And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you. This is back in Luke. And are you the one who's to come, or should we look for someone else? They were awaiting Messiah, and Messiah had been prophesied in the Old Testament, and there were certain things about Messiah that he was going to do to identify himself as the Son of God who was coming. And so they were asking, are you the one? Are you this Messiah? Are you the one we're supposed to be looking for, or is there someone else? And in that hour, many people were healed, people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on whom many were blind, he bestowed sight. And then he answered them and said this, go tell John that you have seen what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the good news has been preached to them. Actually, on the next one, oops. One of the reasons Jesus was doing the things and meeting these needs was because he was identifying himself to those people who should have seen it as, I am the guy, and I am here, and all these things that the Old Testament has said about me are true, and I'm here to fulfill them, and I'm here to tell you, Messiah has come. 
And he did all these things, and they missed it anyway. All the people he came who were, had the keys to this kind of knowledge, the scribes and the Pharisees, all they wanted to do was kill Jesus. So do you think Jesus came? Now, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Do you think Jesus came to heal people? Do you think Jesus came to just feed people? Do you think Jesus came to just save people from drowning? Do you think Jesus just came because we're afraid? Or we need rest, physical rest? Here, come on over here. We're going to take a nap after church. That's okay. We'll give you rest. No. Did Jesus understand his true mission? Yes, he did. That's another rhetorical question. He had no problems understanding why the Father sent him. It says right here, one of those things is, this is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance from Paul's letter to Timothy, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into this world as a human being, the God incarnate, God, the, the, the fully God, fully man, and he had a mission, and it wasn't to feed people. It was to save sinners. It was to do the one thing that was the most important thing, which was to reconcile you back to God. Because you're in a relationship when you're born where you are on the wrong side of being an enemy of God, and the, and the consequences of that are deadly for eternity. And there's only one answer. There's only one answer available to you to solve that problem. That's Jesus. And he knew exactly why he was here. He came to save sinners. John 10, 9 through 11 says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came so that they may have life abundantly. Now, there's an eternal implication, but there's also an implication for here and now. And that was one of the things that I was missing. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Yes, the things that Jesus did in the passages we just read were symbolic of the eternal needs that he was meeting by his death. The big picture of rest was very clear to Jesus. And he says this in Matthew, Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you think he was talking about physical rest? No. Take my yoke from you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Why do I need rest? Because everything about me and my world is broken. Nothing works the way it was supposed to work. Everything is wrong. Everything about life is broken except you if you've accepted Jesus Christ. Jesus knew he came to provide rest. And in fact, God gave us the Sabbath as a, as a symbol of Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews, it tells us, I am the Sabbath rest. When you come to me, you will find rest for your soul because I will reconcile this conflict that you have between you and God and between you and your new nature and your old nature that is fighting inside there. And the only answer to that, to find peace in your life and in your soul, is to be reconciled back to God and reconciled back to yourself when I transform you back into my image. Now, that's going to happen some while you're here. 
But we are all a work in progress, and Jesus will not finish that work till he either returns or you die. But in the meantime, there's only one thing that Jesus promised to fix in this life, and that's you. He isn't fixing the world. He isn't, he isn't fixing Satan. He isn't fixing evil people that are around you. That's why life is so painful. The only thing he says right now I'm going to fix is you. You Christians who accept me, and I'm going to start fixing you right now. But eternally, you will have rest. Big picture of nourishment. We've heard this one many, many times. Jesus said to her, this is the woman who came to the well, right? And he said, hey, can you draw water? And he, he says, yeah, I get water. And he said, if you had my water, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of eternity water welling up to eternal life. So was he talking about physical thirst? No. He was talking about meeting their needs forever. Same thing he talked about when he talked about food. Truly, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you who are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. This is actually after the, the thing we just read. It's in John, not in Mark. Do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus knew, yes, I can come, and yes, I can meet your physical need, yes, I can feed you, but what you really need is eternal food. You need to be reconciled back to God so that your soul will find rest and peace and nourishment in the new heaven and the new earth when I fix everything back to its original design, and you have no idea how wonderful that's going to be. So when Jesus fed the 5,000, it was a metaphor for this, the eternal food of reconciliation with God and restoration back to what God intended me to be when he made mankind in the beginning. Big picture of safety, security, and peace. Do not fear those who kill the body, but fear those who can kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In Matthew, he's talking about if you really want to be afraid, if you are afraid of something, be afraid of God. Be afraid of God because he's the only one that can either damn you to hell or save you. You think you're afraid of drowning? Drowning isn't anything compared to going to hell. Now, I'm not trying to scare people into heaven, but know that, yes, it's important to have safety and security here. In fact, we'll give up a lot of things just to get it, but it's more important to have eternal safety in the hands of a loving God. And then again, he says here about peace in John 14, 27, My peace I leave with you, I give to you, not as the world gives, do, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus understood the big picture. And then healing itself, it says in 1 Peter 2.24, He bore on himself our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. Now, I'll just quickly read the other one. John 11.25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This was actually talking to Martha after he'd, they'd raised Lazarus or Lazarus was dead. He was talking to them about death. Now, do you think he's talking about physical death here? No, because what do we know? What do we know about the people that Jesus uh, worked with here in the passages that we read? 
Well, um, those that he got rest, they got tired again. And those whom he um, gave um, peace and security or nourishment to, they got hungry again. And those he gave security to when he came out and walked on the water and came out to the boat, guess what? They were in dangerous situations. In fact, they all were martyred except for one. And those he healed, guess what? They died anyway, eventually. Jesus was very clear about his mission, and he understood the eternal things that he was accomplishing in the lives of his people. However, and I know I don't have a lot of time, however, this verse, 1 Peter 2.24, I believe the majority of this is talking about the permanent eternal healing by being reconciled back to God through Christ. But this was the message that I heard that changed my life. Because he said, and this was a, a message by John Piper, and he said, He bore on himself our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And his point was this. He's not just talking about eternal He's not just talking about the there and then. Jesus died so that you could have righteousness and holiness in your life now. Because he gave us the Holy Spirit. Because he said, I will continue to transform you into the image of Christ. And I purchased the ability for you to experience holiness with my blood on the cross. And I paid an enormous price. He came to save us. He came to reconcile us back to God. Expiation, propitiation. He came so he could, ex he could restore everything back to its original design. Back to the Garden of Eden 2.0. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of the wonderful things God has prepared for those that love him. And I believe that's true. But all, Jesus also died for the here and now. And this was where I was having my problems. I went through about a 12-year period of time when my life was a total disaster. I nearly lost one of my children over a 10- or 12-year-long battle with health issues. I had poured myself into my work partially to pay for this, the treatment for this child, which was very expensive. And through circumstances not of my own doing, my entire business collapsed and took with it everything I owned. I could tell you the story, but it, would, it might even be funny. I don't know. I mean, it's so, it's so... I felt like I was down for 12 years and God had his boot on the back of my neck. And no matter what, this is nothing's going to work for you. Nothing is going to work for you. And I just felt like I was kicked while I was down. And every year we had a joke at our house. We'd get together as a family on New Year's Eve and we'd talk about it. And we'd say, well, next year can't get any worse, can only get better. Literally, we said this every year. And every year it got worse. And I look back at that time and I recognize that I 
I praise God for that because there was no period in my life when I experienced the kind of growth that I had from there. And I literally, besides, uh, besides my salvation and, and God giving me my wife, I am more thankful for that time in my life than, than anything else in my life because of the growth that I experienced. But I did not want to go through it again. I did not want to go through it again. And I felt like I had my turn. Then it came back. And we were going through it again for the last year. We've been struggling with some of these same kinds of issues in our family. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And I was angry. And I was frustrated. And I was reading this passage and saying, God, you came down and miraculously fed these people and you healed these people. Where's mine? But God died and sent his son so that I could have joy today. James 1-2, I have a love-hate relationship with this verse. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And God said to Tim, he says, Tim, here's how you read this verse. Consider it pure joy, Tim. When you encounter trials of various kinds, Tim, for you know that my testing of your faith will produce perseverance, and perseverance will have its effect in your life, Tim, so that you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, Tim. This trial is a gift for you, Tim, because I am much more interested in having you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, than I am in you being Happy today. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and he paid with his blood so he could make that promise to me. Today. I read in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Thanks a lot, God! No. Jesus says, I died. So that would be possible in your life today. It's all sitting there on the counter, all paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ with my name on it. Tim, are you going to take it and live it or just let it sit there? It's there. It's for you. I even package it up and put your name on it. How about you? You got that package sitting there on the counter with your name on it. Romans 8, 28, for we all know that God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for their good to those who are called according to his purpose. God is working all things, even the bad things, for my good. And he died so he could say that to me and it would be true. So, I came home in a much better place. 
I mean a much better place. It was life-transforming. When John Piper said, Jesus died, yeah, to save you, but Jesus died so that you could have holiness and peace and rest and joy now. And there it sat on the counter, unused, fully paid for. <clears throat> I have a grandson, which I have used before as an illustration. I didn't bring you a picture this time. He just turned one a week ago, a week ago Saturday. When he's scared, or he's hungry, or he's hurt, or he's feeling sad, he comes and raises up his arms to Papa. And I pick him up. And he feels safe. And Papa will feed him. And I'll comfort him. And we'll play. But he doesn't know that I'm not the meter of needs. He just thinks I am. But I use that as an illustration to say, come to Jesus, arms raised. Let him pick you up and carry you through the tough times. Because he is the meter of needs. Perfectly. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we all came here and now uh, you heard me. I tricked them into a decision time. They got to decide, are they going to be transformed? Are they going to be reconciled? Father, I just pray you work in all of our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would indeed transform us through the power of the truth in your word to be more like you. To recognize what's available to us. To see that Jesus absolutely is the meter of needs both eternally and now. And that we can take advantage of it here and now. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.